0: You're cutting out. Can you repeat that? Go for production. Go for production. I said go for production. Production. That's right. You're listening to a podcast about TV and film production. Join us as we converse with industry leaders and gain insight into their strategies, their systems, and best practices in bringing a script to life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Brendan Riley.
1: Welcome to another episode of Go for Production, where it's my job to deconstruct and demystify the production process in both film and television. We'll talk about strategies, systems, and tools the pros use so you can be inspired to move forward in your filmmaking career. Today's guest is Dale Dreher. Dale is a location scout and manager in the Los Angeles studio zone and all of Southern California. His specialties include union and non-union location scouting, management, hard-to-find locations, houses, offices, buildings, schools, suburban or urban locations, streets, freeways, Americana, and all other locations you can imagine. Dale has worked on numerous movies, TV shows, and commercials. Some of them include Bright, Grace and Plugged, East Los Angeles, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 24, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and countless others. Welcome to the show, Dale.
0: Hi, thank you.
1: So, Dale, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, thinking back on your life, what got you interested in filmmaking and and location work?
0: Well, what got me interested in it? I don't think I even knew there was such a thing as the location department when I first started. Um, in a nutshell, I mean, when I was about 15 or 16, I wanted to be a dancer, because that's all I could think of, and then I transitioned that thought into wanting to be an actor, and then I transitioned that thought into wanting to be a producer, and then a producer AD, and then a (laughs) UPM, and that's kind of um, really the trajectory my career has taken. I started working freelance when I was 21, right after I got out of the Marines, and I was a PA, truck-driving PA, for like five years. And um, that was a long time, a lot longer than I wanted, but I had a lot to learn. So it was good. I learned all all about production. I learned my way around Los Angeles. And eventually started working my way into the production office as an office PA and then a production coordinator. And that was kind of how I first got into Basically, the film business is through production.
1: Do you think that your experience working in production has helped you as a location person, manager?
0: I think it helps a lot. Um, I just think that the elements of budgeting and scheduling that I learned when I was trying to become a big-time DGA member, which was my original goal. I wanted to be a DGA, UPM, first AD, and I was training myself to do that, and I had mentors that were working with me, but learning scheduling and budgeting, those two primary items, I mean, those are like core, super core skills for any department head in uh, the Hollywood film business, I would say.
1: So what what was the transition from production to this location work? What was your first... Do you remember your first big break doing that
0: well when working in production on lower budget projects like music videos and commercials or non-union jobs um, a lot of times there's no money for a location manager and so by default you don't even realize it but you end up kind of doing those uh, duties as a production manager or production coordinator but Basically, for me, what happened was after about 15 years of working in production, I was able to get into the DGA as a commercial UPM, as a third area first AD and a, an entertainment second AD and a commercial first. So I qualified for all of those things, and I was participating in the director's guild. But then a friend of mine – basically, I, it took me until age 37 to get to the point of kind of – becoming a real UPM mm-hmm. in the film business. And then that's also about the time that I met my wife and I decided I wanted to get married and have children. So at age 37, I'm like, well, gee, I'm not working enough as a DGA member to get the dental and health insurance, right? which is a really important lifestyle choice to be made. Um, but a friend of mine who I had PA'd with 10 years ago, he had become a pretty big location manager and he was working with Michael Mann And he's like, hey, Dale, why don't you come over here and um, be my uh, key assistant location manager on this Michael Mann TV show? And um, I really didn't want to do it at at first. He kind of dragged me into it, kicking and screaming, (laughs) because, you know, I liked being the center of the hub and knowing everything about everything in production. And I'm like, well, if I go into a single department, I'm going to be isolated and I'll be giving up my producer dreams and all that. But the bottom line is I figured I would try it. And um, basically, within about two months, I had dental and health insurance. And I was kind of forced to join the the Teamsters as a union member. So I got into the Teamsters all in, in, in the first two months of working in locations. I got into the Teamsters. I got dental and health insurance. And then like a year later, I got married and had kids. And my insurance paid for the childbirth and all that stuff. So it, it was all a very happy transition, actually. Um, I kind of miss working in production still. But um, I had a really good mentor in locations when I started, uh, Eric Fierstein, who's still working on a lot of big shows um, with HBO and Showtime and a lot of other uh, great uh, producers and directors. But he was my mentor for probably about three or four years. And because of my 15 years of production experience, I kind of moved up quickly in the location ranks because of, you know, the skills that I already had. I prefer to think of it as an opportunity to be creative. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, ADs are creative and producers are creative, but I figured, I like the creativity of locations. Um, You can call it problem solving if you want, but I I, I consider it the creative opportunity scouting. And then once you pick the locations, then the problem solving really starts.
1: Right, so there's there's an art to your job, right, where you're trying to bring this aesthetic of this this certain type of location to the director or the producer, right? You're trying to bring your creative side into the
0: the job, right? It kind of depends on the budget, you know. If – sometimes a project will come to L.A. and they'll be like, well, we want to film on Hollywood Boulevard – we want to film somewhere near the Hollywood sign. We want to film at Muscle Beach in right. Santa Monica. We want to do Venice Beach. And, uh, you know, we, we need something that looks like an L.A. freeway. Right. There's not a lot of creativity involved in that. I'm just basically filling an order mm-hmm. like a waiter at a restaurant. Um, but, like, when I worked on Bright and I was in charge of helping find the location where we were going to do a major car explosion and a car flip and a fireball that was a little more creative i would say you know and that's where i get to really use my skills um having lived and worked in la now for 32 years it's like i don't even realize how much i know it's so instinctual and second nature
1: do you have a certain process that you use on every show when it comes to a routine, or software, or logistics?
0: Well, some location scouts and managers only work in television. Some work almost only in features. Some work almost only in commercials. Um, I have, over the last 16 years of doing this, I've kind of worked in all of them. And it's a minor adjustment. Uh, I would say commercials are much faster, so the process has to be really sharp, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of panic for me <laughs> that goes into uh, getting prepared to do a commercial. Uh, features in TV are a little more enjoyable, length uh, because there's some, a little more brain time to process. But, I mean, in a nutshell, there's research, and then there's scouting, and then there's director scouting and then there's tech scouting and then there's the shoot right and um i mean there's a lot that we could talk about before you even get a job i mean there's the whole freelance lifestyle of finding work um that's an art in itself right i've been looking for a job for 32 years and <laughs> uh As a commercial guy, mostly I've been doing commercials lately. Right. I'm I'm slowly going to start transitioning back into long-form television and features because my kids are growing up and my children are um, ages 13 and 15. And now that they're kind of becoming a lot more independent, I'm ready to go back into television, which is like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Right. I was unwilling to do that um, with young children at home. Uh, So commercials were a little bit better as a lifestyle. Uh, where I could pick the days that I work, and I could take a week off if I had to, and things like that. But um, the process of getting a job is like an entire conversation in itself. Uh, there's networks, and there's you know guilds and trade organizations and unions, and uh, there's classes and there's continued professional education. Um, so there's you know there's that. <laughs> right. And then um, and then when you get the job. It depends on which kind of job you get. I think for now, I should probably just talk about commercials because it's a little more fresh on my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing I do when somebody calls me up and says, hey, Dale, can you work tomorrow? I'll be like, yes, I can. And then as soon as we discuss a rate and hang up the phone, I go into a cold sweat. (laughs) (laughs) I have an anxiety attack and I have a performance anxiety cold sweats, Um, but that's it sounds weird, but it's because I care, because I'm so anxious to do a good job, mm-hmm. and, um, but the funny th- thing is, that immediately, once I start doing my job, I just go into the zone, and it's like, oh, I've done this before, you know, so that's what I hate about not working for, like, a week or two, I get a little bit rusty in my mind, but, um, so the best thing to do is, once you start working, just keep working, 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 but, um, I have a whole rate card that I, that I use to negotiate. Um, if the job is union, it's pretty simple. I just usually work for union rates, and um, there's some room for negotiation depending upon how busy the town might be. Um, if the town is very busy, we can usually get more uh, money. Commercials pay a significantly higher day rate than um, features and TV for the manager and scout. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might only work four days in a week or three days in a week, um, and the delivery expectations can be pretty high.
1: So, so let me pause you there. For, so let's, let's take a commercial. How, how much prep time would you have to f- source locations for your average commercial?
0: Sometimes zero. I'll get a call at 1030 a.m. Mm-hmm. on a day like today, and they'll be like, can you work today? We just got the job awarded, and we need to show the agency something tomorrow morning. And I'll be like, yeah, I can do a file pull today, and then um, tomorrow we'll go out and start, you know, scouting real locations with a camera. And so, but that's because of the digital age now. I mean, there's an expectation that, that I can deliver at least, you know, maybe 10 locations per category in a day using files that I have from recent jobs that I've scouted. So there's a whole new thing called file pulling, and some scouts are really, really good at it, and I'm one of those people. And then there's, you know, anyways, but that's all part of also having friends. Like, I might have a friend who just scouted something, and I'll ask him if I could use those pictures, and um, I give them my picture. So we share photographs in the the network community of location people. god what was the question again it was well i'm just saying
1: in the in the commercial aspect you, you might not have any prep time but in a, w- would you in another situation have a couple days to find a location or
0: well if i mean prep times have gotten tighter and tighter because of the digital expectation um i would say um it's nice to have a I mean, it's going to be a 12-hour day almost no matter what, mm-hmm. almost no matter what you do, unless they call you midday and need results today. But um, the prep time is totally different on every job. I would I would say um, if they say that you know today's Wednesday and we need a we need a location that we can film on Monday, it'll be like well I hope you have a, a film permit in the works already because we're going to just have to add to it. Right, so there's other elements. there's the whole permitting thing, and if they're if they're not going to be filming for a month, that's awesome because then I can really start showing them some some new stuff. you know
1: when it comes to the the permitting side, is it something that you use a service or do you do it yourself or have one of your assistants handle it?
0: The permitting process has also kind of gotten mechanized uh, because of the short prep time that they're giving us nowadays. Um, There are still some old school location managers who pull all of their own permits, Um, but it's gotten more and more complicated with all the different jurisdictions. It depends on how many cities you're, like if you're going to be filming in three different cities, like let's say Long Beach, LA, and I don't know, something in Ventura County, there's three different jurisdictions. I don't have time to find locations and be on the phone all day, you know, dealing with the permit details. So we do have services that we use. I use a company called PPS. They're one of the best in the business. And a lot of TV shows and big jobs use PPS. Um, but there's other services too, like uh, film permits unlimited. And, um, I I think Dave Stanley, and there's a couple of services that, uh, each each has their own little niche, and um, I pretty much have to use a location uh, permit service. Mm-hmm. Um, they facilitate the payments to, like, the fire departments and, uh, you know, business licenses. I mean, if I had a full-time assistant to handle just that, and sometimes TV shows do, you might have an office coordinator on a TV show in addition to your three scouts and your two key assistants. It depends on how big your team is. right. But as a location manager in commercials, I'm pretty much a lone ranger.
1: And I know some some um, cities and states don't aren't as developed in the film and TV world. So, like New Orleans, New Orleans doesn't have a service per se. So you have to almost have a location coordinator handle those type of things. Whereas LA, I'm pretty sure Atlanta has a service. I would think. Um, going back to the commercial aspect. You're, you're, you're doing the file pulls. Um, you're going to take pictures. You're going to, um, find this missing location. Is there anything particular that you like to do when you're hunting for a specific location, um, that, that you have a trick that you would be willing to share that won't spoil your secrets?
0: Yeah, I've got a trick I could share. Um, and it's, Some people would would think of it as cheating, but I don't really use it that way. Like I said in commercials, the prep time is very short. The expectation is high. And, you know, I might be one of the best scouts in L.A., but I may not have scouted, you know, um, let's say dark alleys, you know. Right. For a couple of months. So I'm a little rusty on dark alleys, even though I've just done rooftops and freeways or something. So I'll send that an email. Basically I have there's about in regards to photograph there's about um thirty five to forty location services in LA. Not permit services, but location libraries, photographic libraries. Mm-hmm. And I've got about 240 email addresses for all of those services and I can send out an email to about 240 location libraries or service people in one click and tell them what I'm looking for and sometimes they send me too much stuff and I get buried with too many options to dig through but other times I end up with lots of great ideas as well and uh I, I'm, I'm turning over many more rocks than anybody else would have ever done. Some scouts only rely upon their own memory. My memory doesn't really work that well a lot of times, so I use my systems. I've got almost a million photographs on my computer, about 980,000 JPEGs from 15 oh, wow. years of digital scouting. Um, I use Lightroom to sift through them, and um, I've got about 27 different categories of like major categories of locations. Um,
1: do, now, do you store them on the cloud, or are they on your computer physically? Or,
0: well, I have a, a three terabyte Mac. What do you call that? A Mac? Uh, not a Mac iBook. It's a uh, just an iMac. Right. It's an iMac. I have a twenty-seven inch iMac. It's a three terabyte uh, combo flash or whatever the heck. And so. I have a laptop as well. The laptop is only one terabyte, so on my laptop, I keep all of my files since the beginning of day one that I had a computer. 21 years of computer files are on my laptop and my my desktop, and those are synchronized using Dropbox, every single file, personal and work-related. My photographs are so big and bulky that I can only keep my photographs on the desktop at home. Right. Right. So if I need to bring my photographs with me to, into the field or if I'm going to go on a director scout and they might expect me to show some new locations at lunch when, or when we stop, um, I keep them on a, uh, on a Lassie drive. So I have like a 5-gig portable Lassie drive, mm-hmm. and um, I keep a, a carbon copy of all of my photographs on a Lassie drive that I bring with me when I go mobile. So I don't keep anything – I don't keep my photographs in you know, the cloud, which in this case I guess would be Dropbox. Um,
1: yeah, because it takes up all your computer space.
0: <laughs> well, I couldn't put my photographs on my – um, my, my, all of my JPEGs for scouting come to about, I think, one and a half terabytes. So they they physically won't fit on my laptop. So I have to keep them on a separate external drive. Um,
1: have you developed any type of folder structure for these photos, or is it
0: – I do. Um There was an original folder structure that I had borrowed. Over the years, I've taken a lot of classes from a lot of great people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know where I have it here, but I have a folder structure with um, about 26 major categories, like I had mentioned. And um, where the heck is it? Anyways. I do have a folder structure that I would share – I would share it with my colleagues as well if they oh, okay. want because I think it's pretty, uh, pretty logical. Um, and then I've also got a master Excel document with like every possible location name and uh, – because sometimes I forget where I file stuff because there's just so many. But anyways, the, the location categories would be something like agricultural, uh, residential, bars and nightclubs, buildings and offices – Churches and religious, you know, those are the major categories. Military, medical, hotels, motels, parks, uh, restaurants, schools. But under schools, I might have like eight subcategories. So schools is a major category, but under that I've got colleges, universities, trade schools, uh, pre-K through six, uh, you know, uh, junior high, high school, uh, You know so there's a lot of subcategories there's a lot there's probably a couple hundred subcategories streets is like a major category and under streets i've got freeways tunnels bridges roads alleys you know dirt roads you know and then i've got studios as a location scout i don't really scout for studios very much usually production finds their own stages but i am responsible for standing sets you know like apartments on you know, there used to be like uh, DC stages in LA that's been famous for quite a few mm-hmm. decades, but they're getting kind of old. And um, so there's always new standing sets that are popping up. And if I get, if I if I find a new standing set that might be like an apartment set or a jail set, I don't file that under apartments or jails. I I keep it under studios um, because it's it's a completely controllable environment. And then transpo. I have a I have a category called transportation which is kind of a weird word but it basically means planes trains and automobiles you know right um airports subways you know public transportation MTA metro buses freeways um so there's a lot of there's 29 different actually 29 different major categories and that's how I organize my photographs now it's also how I keyword my data um because that's a whole there's there's basically there's information, and then there's photographs. And there's a lot of photographs I don't have the information on. I know where it is, but I, don't, I may not have fresh contact information for it. And then there's, I mean, I've got a database in FileMaker Pro with 9,000 locations. Now, I don't have photographs on all of those properties, but I do have it keyworded, and I have descriptions that are typed in so that if I'm searching for you know, a Victorian farmhouse, I can probably find it in my informational FileMaker Pro database, and then I might be able—I might have some of the photographs, or I might have to go and ask my colleagues or some of the services if they have photographs of it.
1: Now, this FileMaker Pro database that you have—did you de- steal a template, or or did you craft it yourself, or?
0: Well, way back in the early internet days, the California Film Commission um, used to—they're like one of the first people to start a a usable library of locations, and they actually used to, like, I I don't know if it was once a year or every couple of years, they would send out a binder, like a two-inch binder, to all of the location people in L.A., and uh, who knows where else, um, with all of the viable locations that are film-friendly in L.A., and um, eventually they put that database online as a kind of a FileMaker Pro web-enabled database, And I think they called it CalODA, which is California On Location Database. And um, I was able to get a copy of that from a colleague, and it was in FileMaker Pro. And so I just kind of embraced it and ran with it. So I use FileMaker Pro as a database uh, source. Um, But the thing about FileMaker Pro is that it doesn't interact well with email or iPhones and iOS. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually using a new database called daylight by market circle it's a canadian company and i'm trying to share that with as many location people as possible because it's it's a phenomenal database um a friend of mine who's just got into locations um he's actually taken my my filemaker pro database with nine thousand records and he's imported it into daylight oh wow and so it's all on his iphone and um so you know we're always trying to update our software and um I would say there is no absolute perfect, there is no perfect database. Um, there is no complete photographic library, um, but that's where your relationships come in and your networking. Um, I have kind of a, a one page per location uh, template that I use in FileMaker, which keeps track of like, if it's in the zone or not in the zone, um, the major category the subcategory uh names and titles and email and phone numbers and then what the permit jurisdiction might be um price and availability of that given location and maybe some parking ideas um
1: there's so many variables to location work that it's good to have like like you're talking about having a database Um, What other tools do you know that people in your industry use? I mean, whether it's a Google Doc or something to keep track of everything.
0: Yeah, I just started using Google Docs myself, Um, especially if you're on a team. Um, There's Google Sheets. Google Docs is a Word document, and then Google Sheets is an Excel document, basically. And it's it's awesome because, like, I'm – kind of helping a little bit on a project with the LMGI, which is the Location Managers Guild International, and um, I I offered my assistance in creating a budget for a special event that they're doing, and so I created a budget in Google Sheets, so that if anybody wanted to change or add to the numbers, they could. They could just log in and and tweak the numbers. But um, if I'm on a TV show or a feature, I'll actually Dropbox, everything, an entire project, Uh, but Google Sheets is good for, like I co-scouted, I was scouting for, what was it, Uh, football fields, and me and another scout were both at the same time for like two or three days scouting for football fields. So we had to divvy up the the duties, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of handled all of the football fields in the South Bay and and down off the 105, 605, 710 corridors. And he kind of handled all the football fields and schools with fields up in the uh, Valley and the Hollywood area. And so we had to keep track of that, you know? So we used Google Sheets. And um, at the end of each day, we would type in our results, you know? Did the school have a fitness gym? Did it have parking? What was its price? What's its availability? And where is it? So using Google Sheets is a good team is a good team tool, so that there's no duplication of effort, and everybody can see what everybody's doing, and it's easily accessible on the iPhone as well.
1: Right. When you're on the road, you're looking for a football stadium. Um, you're very mobile in nature. What what do you do to keep organized so that you can keep track of all this information? Do you Try, do you take a laptop with you do you
0: well the goal is to be as paperless as possible at all times <laughs> so um i do bring a laptop but i try to print stuff out before i leave the house um i don't want to have to open up my laptop when i'm out scouting um in fact also using dropbox again is really good because you can access everything that's in dropbox you can access it on your iphone Mm because there's a dropbox app so it's phenomenal in that way um no if i go out scouting the only thing i bring is is my laptop maybe two or three files thomas guide and my camera and i should probably tell you about my camera if you're interested yeah
1: so talk to us (laughs) about the your the photography side of Um, Being a location scout, you know, in in, in one way, you're you're kind of like a um, photographer, (laughs) right? So did you always have that skill, or did you develop that skill because of the job?
0: Photography, um, there are some scouts that studied the fine art of photography, and they can put me to shame in regards to the quality of some of their photographs, but... I don't know. I just have a really good camera, (laughs) and I put it on automatic like 90% of the time. What kind of of camera? It's a Canon 6D.
1: Okay, I have a Canon 6D. Oh, you do? I I love it.
0: Oh, good. So then you know – I mean, for me, what I know about the Canon 6D is that it's full frame. Um, You can shoot raw if you need to. Um, It's the smallest, most lightweight of the full frame DSLRs.
1: It's like the 7D almost, but it's a full frame, right? So, Well, know.
0: it's got built-in GPS, which is absolutely the reason why I'll never leave using the 6D. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for for years, I used like a Canon T3, which is just a little, you know, you can get a T7 nowadays at Costco for like $450. Um, but a T3 I used for many years, and um, but it didn't have built-in GPS, and it was um, cropped frame. So I'm getting a lot better photographs now with my full-frame 6. The 6D has phenomenal light pickup at night. So I just did two nights of, of uh, scouting roads for uh, Harley-Davidson. And you know what? I tried shooting in RAW one night, and it really didn't help. It didn't help. Um, so I just put the camera back onto automatic the next night, and it was fine. I mean, it's phenomenal. Light pickup, I've got, I've got a really expensive lens, which I think makes a big difference. It's a 2.8 um, aperture, 24 to 70, which is what a lot of fashion stills photographers use. Um, so I figure I'll just use what they use. You don't really want to go any wider than a 24 millimeter. Um, if you're shooting house interiors a lot, you could use like a 16 to 35. But again, you're going to want to use a red ring on a Canon. You'd want to use a red ring of 2.8 if you can get it. Um, so so, they're expensive though, you know.
1: So, this, this camera, um, talk about the GPS. What, what does that do for you in terms of helping
0: you? Well, I use uh, Lightroom to basically clean up and edit and rename and uh, work on my photographs and to auto tone them and to level them. Um, Lightroom. Has a mapping function similar to iPhoto, I suppose, but if the photograph has GPS information in the uh, the computer file of it, um, Lightroom can read that and plot it on a map. So, like last Monday when I went out, I photographed roads, uh, Latuna Canyon, uh, Foothill Boulevard. I was up Angeles Crest Highway. It was nighttime. And it was really hard to see the mile markers, and um, it was dark. And um, But using a GPS camera, I can pull over anywhere I want and take pictures and pretty much not worry about taking a bunch of notes of where I am. Oh, that's really helpful. Because the GPS has that information built into the camera. Now, before I got a Canon 6D, I used to just use my iPhone. And um, I've got an app on my iPhone called Solocator, and that actually gives me uh, latitude, longitude, grid coordinates, as well as elevation, and uh, what direction you're looking. So it's called Solocator. Interesting. And it's it's some even if I you know no matter what location I shoot, if I'm out in the middle of the desert, I like to use Solocator as a uh, it's I think it's about twelve bucks for this to own this app, and it, it gives you a kind of a compass overlay with uh, what direction you're looking, north, south, you know, how many degrees, you know, 14 degrees northeast, um, what your elevation is. It's a really nice, um, I mean, years ago, if you were scouting for like a fashion job, they would want you to take compass readings at every location. And thank God those days are like almost over. Almost nobody really asks for uh, compass readings anymore. Because you can look at Google Earth and kind of figure out, you know, that the, the location was facing north, which means, you know, no direct sunlight, blah blah blah. Um, but Solocator is a really good app. Um, a friend of mine, a location buddy, told me about it, and I, JP, thank you, JP. Um, so I always throw a, a Solocator shot in with my pictures. Um,
1: So when you're taking these pictures, is there a a rough number that you're trying to get for each location, or is it just however many you you feel you need?
0: Well, I might be scouting uh, for a cereal commercial, and so they want me to take a lot of pictures in the living room, dining room, kitchen area, but you know, while I'm there, I'm not gonna ignore the beautiful pool in the backyard or the amazing master bedroom with the incredible walk-in shower with the ocean view. I mean, who can ignore that when you're walking through a twenty-six million dollar Malibu mansion? So I go ahead and photograph as much of the house as I can time-wise and, um, but I only present the the photographs that are relevant to the project I'm scouting. but I would say, on average, for me, if I go out and, and I scout seven or eight houses, for example, in a day, I might come home with about seven hundred, eight hundred photographs. Oh wow! And that's gonna that could take me that could take me two and a half hours or so of processing and dividing and organizing and exporting and resizing and leveling and auto toning. So it's important that you know your own workflow so that you can make sure that the client isn't, you know, getting pissed off at 8 p.m. when they thought the pictures would be done. So that's part of the scouting process, I would say, as well, is knowing, like, when do they need these pictures? If they don't need them until 6 a.m. the next morning, you can take a little extra time and make the pictures look pretty. But I would say if I'm photographing a house, I'm gonna end up with probably about 60 to 80 photographs. That's kind of a general average. If I photograph a house, it's gonna end end up with about 60 to 80 Decent, you know, good quality photographs. Um,
1: and do you show all of those to the client or just a portion of those?
0: It depends on the project. Um, that's the thing. It's like if you're scouting for television, you might show a house where they only wanted to photograph the front yard and maybe the interior living room. But when the production designer looks at the backyard of the house, he'll be like, well, you know – schedule wise we've got a problem we've got a quagmire to a problem to solve why don't we shoot the garage in that house it had like a man cave garage in it let's use that for the uh, for the wood shop scene that we were gonna do elsewhere so in television or in features um, one property might get multitasked for different looks um, commercials are very very specific I mean you might go to a I mean I've, I've shot you know like water filter commercials and all we shot was the kitchen sink that's it and you know the location was like eight thousand dollars a day and you know we still had you know eight trucks and 55 cars but all we shot was water going through a water filter all day long on the kitchen counter you know (laughs) that's really funny but um
1: uh, and then do you ever do any video or is it just stills Music videos.
0: No, not music videos.
1: I'm saying do you ever take video oh, front for your scouting purposes?
0: That's a really good question. That's kind of a, a developing world. Um, personally, I have been starting to sell myself as a drone scout and a GoPro scout, um, not to be cooler or better or to, to do anything manipulative, but because I just – I'm getting requests for it sometimes, and, um, and you can get a GoPro for like 500 bucks. You can get one for 400 bucks on Craigslist, a good GoPro. Um, you can get a good drone that shoots good quality video on Craigslist for 600 bucks. So I, I am actually shooting video in GoPro and in drone uh, mode now as well. Um, I never, ever shoot video with my Canon 6D. I simply don't know how and wouldn't, don't need to, Um, but I would use a GoPro if I was scouting bridges, freeways, or tunnels because those are places where you're literally risking your life to get out of your car or there's nowhere to pull over, and I used to do that the hard way, which is I would just literally – like if I was on a freeway interchange, I would stop in the middle of the lane, get out of my car, take a shot, jump back in, and haul buns – I mean – Dangerous, really dangerous stuff. Tunnels, bridges, freeway interchanges, you know, or high-speed roads. Um, You can just put a GoPro on the hood of your car now, and you can activate the pause, record, and stop functions from your iPhone inside the car. So GoPro scouting is is pretty cool, and it's not that hard. Um, And, you know, I've got a good website that can handle, you know, clips of video. Um, Not a lot of requests coming in for video scouting yet, but, I mean, I have actually spent probably about eight days this year so far doing drone scouting. And um, the first couple of times I went out drone scouting, I had a friend of mine who is a drone expert come with me, and I gave him half my rate, just to be completely honest. I'm like, dude, I'm going to give you half my rate. We're going to hang out for a couple of days, and um, you're going to teach me how to drone scout, and you're going to get half my paycheck, and we'll become great buddies at the end of it all. (laughs) So they paid me, but I had to give him half of my paycheck, and I learned a lot.
1: What was the purpose of drone scouting?
0: Oh, boy. Well, the first drone scouting job I got was actually – it was a European company that was doing an anti-oil campaign. And so they wanted us to go into the, the oil fields of Bakersfield and Taft and show these epic shots of, like, the Chevron oil fields which we would have never, ever gotten permission to do because it was an anti-oil campaign. Mm-hmm. So basically it was covert. So there's covert scouting with the drones. Um, that was a five-day gig, uh, five days of drone scouting for all this covert stuff for this European company. Uh, that was interesting. But then um, what's the, the last job I did, oh, I just did a commercial for, what's it called, WeWork, there's a company okay. called WeWork, which right. is like Regis. It's an office rental, mm-hmm. temporary office rental company, WeWork. They were doing a scene where a guy gets really irritated. He's, he's, he's in an office on the 12th floor of a building in downtown LA. He gets irritated, pissed off, or something happens. He jumps out the window, or he, he, he falls asleep at his desk or something, and then he's having a dream, and in his dream, he jumps out the window, And he starts flying. So it was a flying dream. So they wanted me to drone scout that because, you know, you can't really shoot that with a still camera. Um, So we drone scouted the the flying dream scene, and they wanted shots of the drone going over a lake, over forested uh, treetops, crossing over urban dense areas like the 110 freeway, uh, building tops in downtown L.A., um desert brush areas so we drone scouted all this stuff and um, and then of course they had to permit all of that and then they reshot it with a top-notch you know drone company
1: so the, the risk though in, in in doing drone shot drone scouting is that you're not permitting it correct so you're kind of in that limbo area of some areas are might be okay some areas might not
0: yeah, but, I mean, as a, I mean, I'm kind of an amateur drone operator still, and I'm very slowly working on my, um, what is it, Part 107 license. When you when you get properly licensed to be a drone operator, uh, you learn about how to basically pre-check an area. For example, Balboa Park, which is up near the one, the one, what is it, the? The 405-101 Interchange, Balboa Park near Sepulveda Dam. Well, there's – on one side of Balboa Boulevard, you can only send up a drone 50 feet, and that's with permission. So you have to get a permit just to send the drone up 50 feet. But on the west side of Balboa Boulevard, you can send up your drone 200 feet. So there's an app. It's an FAA-based app, and uh, that's another thing is like the government agencies are – finally catching up to what Hollywood wants to do. And um, so there's apps that tell you basically here you can drone scout up to 200 feet. Here you, here you can't drone scout at all. You know, like over the ocean, you can go up to 400, 500 feet. But if you're near an airport, if you're within a mile of an airport, you'd be stupid to show that to the director because he's not going to get permission to do it. That's why Balboa Park was uh, sketchy because it's on the south side of the Van Nuys Airport. So there's an app that you check when you're out. Um, Before you send up your drone, you check the app, see what the the elevations are that you can send up the drone, and you just watch what you're doing and use a little bit of common sense. Um, When I worked on Bright uh, back in the fall of 2017, I think, they actually were the first company ever in Los Angeles to be able to send up a drone at night. So that's one thing about Bright that a lot of people don't know is that they did a lot of drone work on Bright, and they were actually the first production company ever to be able to send up a full-size professional drone for night work, hmm. and that was that was uh I was there that night and it was pretty amazing.
1: When it comes to locations, one big thing that you're having to continually do and manage is think about and manage budgets, um, in terms of trying to figure out how to segment off different line items for each each budget is is there a um a template that you use do you, do you use a um a system what, what do you do to continually create these budgets
0: well regarding budgeting i mean i have to say that's one of my strengths because like i said i came from production and I've, i'm actually i used to do budgets in movie magic right i, mean, I know about globals and p n w and FICA Fui Suey, all that crazy stuff um so I have a real strong uh knowledge of budgeting from my early days um, in location I find location budgeting to be very simple and very easy um, especially if they have money <laughs> right but um that's there's a difference between budgeting and negotiating, of course, but I use um I, I'm really good at Excel, but um, I use FileMaker Pro for budgeting, and it's kind of an old-school method because you think of – you don't really think of FileMaker Pro as a mathematical tool, but it is. It's phenomenal, and um, I did a budget for there's – a, there's a Fox uh, feature that hasn't come out yet. It's called Stuber. It's about a guy named Stu who drives an Uber, and it's kind of a comedy. Anyways, I did the L.A. portion of it and I have a FileMaker Pro budget that I created for it. The total for the six days of L.A. shooting that I was involved with was about $156,000. So, and that's basically like two or three locations a day for six days. Um, So in FileMaker Pro, basically there's the top sheet or or whether you use Excel or FileMaker Pro, the budget has two two elements. There's a top sheet, which is a summary, obviously, of all of the locations and all the days of shooting with all the categories. And then there's a one page per location. And uh, that's why I like FileMaker Pro so much, because, like, if you're on a really complicated project and and they're still moving the schedule, they're still moving strip boards, you know, uh, suddenly day 17 becomes day 14 and suddenly day 3 becomes day 15 – Using FileMaker Pro, it's really, really easy to uh, shift. I like my budget to be in schedule order, and the reason, the main reason for that is so that I can not double budget things like permits, fire, police. Um, so I like my schedule. A really good budget is going to be in schedule order, mm-hmm. um, strangely.
1: And what, what benefit would that be versus using Movie Magic in terms of? your workflow movie
0: magic would be great yeah I should be using movie magic in fact I have a friend uh, he and I are one of these days we're gonna sit down together and we're gonna learn guerrilla budgeting I've talked with some veteran location managers who've done TV and for years and and I've convinced them as well that movie magic is probably the best budgeting program you could use and it's perfect for locations Um, but it's too expensive And so, actually, I strongly believe that Gorilla Budgeting Suite would be the way to go, and um, especially Gorilla Scheduling and Budgeting, because if you're working on a on a feature or a TV show and you're able to get a copy of the script, and you can import it into Gorilla, and boom, you've got your breakdown already roughed out for you. Mm -hmm. So if you're working on big stuff, you know, with a lot of script pages and script changes, I would I would try Movie Magic. Or gorilla, but on a commercial or something simple, um, FileMaker Pro is simple. I just took a budgeting class like two weeks ago at the Teamsters uh, Union Hall, and they're they're using uh, they're using Excel, you know, for a for te- television episodic, and um, it's it's pretty simple. But I've got the same thing going on in FileMaker Pro. I've got a for me the most important thing is one page per location, a one page. My one-page uh, budget divides a location into probably about 12 different categories. Do you, want, you want to know what they are? Sure. So the, the first category is location fees, prep, shoot, you know, st- prep, shoot and strike. Um, and then you've got set labor, which would be site reps, uh, maybe onset layout board, um, special people who get assigned to you. Um, then there's security. And then there's police a separate line item, and then there's fire, and then there's permits, and then there's parking, and then there's holding and gratuities, and then there's trash bins, toilets, tents, tables, and chairs, heaters, and lights, Um, air conditioning, and then there's miscellaneous materials, which includes uh, maps, layout board, site protection, and then there's restoration, which is cleaning and uh, missing and damaged.
1: So for a lot of these things, you know the, the typical cost for a layout board or, or whatever, because of previous jobs. But what are the big variables that you tend to run into? Whether it's the actual site fee, or is it? What 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 do you think the you're continually trying to figure
0: out? Right now, my biggest frustration when somebody wants me to help them do a budget for their location, for me the biggest challenge is like police and fire. Because those are the biggest – that might sound crazy, but police and fire are the most challenging things to budget for because of – I don't know how many people are going to be on set. I don't know what jurisdiction we're going to be in. Like if we're in in, um, unincorporated Los Angeles, like let's say, I don't know, um, Lenox (laughs) – nobody knows where that is, but technically that's L.A. County, but it's not L.A. City – um, if you're in Lennox, for example, which is a small little piece of the South Bay, you're going to end up with a retired fire safety advisor. Okay, that guy's going to be between 48 and 54 bucks an hour. But if you're actually filming two miles north of there and you end up in the city of Los Angeles, they might force you to have an active-duty FSO, which they just raised the rates to about $108 per hour. And that's a lot of money, and that's um, something that I hope the city of Los Angeles uh, takes another look at here because they're driving uh, film production out of L.A. with these fire fire department costs that, uh, that people don't like at all. Um, sometimes we pay more money to a fireman in one day than we spend renting the location, and it's insane. So anyways, what I was saying is I find budgeting police and fire to be the most challenging because maybe – maybe the script says we're going to have the car exit a driveway and drive down the street well do we need a cop for that or not i don't know maybe we need two cops it depends on where the location lands if it's going to be in the middle of beverly hills we might need three cops um so anything involving police or fire like driving work can be very challenging to budget Mm -hmm. Um, if it's a location like a house you know just a fixed property those are easy for me to come up with um, numbers uh, parking, man, if you want to park – if you want to film in downtown – people are still in the habit of saying, oh, we want to film in downtown L.A. I'm like, are you sure? Because if, if it's going to be almost any day of the week, it's, you're going to spend at least $4,000 on parking, um, depending upon the size of your project, obviously. But, um, I mean, it's – you're going to – I've spent $8,000 a day just on parking. You know, like on East Lost High, we needed to rent three different parking lots to land our company. One for extras, one for crew, and one for base camp. Each of those parking lots was like 2500 to $3,000 each, you know. So parking is a big, big deal that people – producers often don't budget enough for parking, police, or fire. I mean, that's what I would say. And then um, there's an old – uh, saying that, like the, I mean, we're talking fifteen years ago when I first started out, and I was talking to some location managers. They like producers don't understand that if you want to film in Los Angeles, here's the budget: twenty grand a day. You know, there's your number, and you know what hasn't changed. It's still the same. So, it's about twenty grand a day. Right. I mean, unless you're doing a PSA with a crew of under twenty-five. You know, it depends on your project, obviously. But if you're dealing with union, you know, real commercial, you know, uh, corporate commercial type stuff, it's going to be about twenty grand a day, almost, almost always.
1: So um, th- that was really inter- insightful on, in terms of the budget. Um, anything else in, in terms of the actual managing your your, your life on the day to day basis of being a location manager that that you've that you've learned? Um, Maybe your your work ethic or something in, in terms of how do you just make it through the day sometimes in terms of do you have – you work really long hours?
0: I think I've mastered the process of folding up my life into a small size item and sticking it on the shelf, you know, <laughs> how to just pack up your life into a small suitcase and put it in the closet for about – Couple of weeks or whatever. Um, that's been the hardest thing for me. I mean, like if somebody wanted to get into locations, I would I would really spend some time explaining to them that it's a lifestyle. Um, same as being an AD or something. You know, just working in the film business in general is a lifestyle. And the freelance lifestyle is not for everyone. It's been really frustrating. You know, 32 years I've been I've been doing it, and um, it's still frustrating. And I got about probably. 11, 12, or maybe 13 years to go, and uh, I better be good at my job if I expect to work all the way until the end, you know, Um, but anyways, when I was working on a television show, and uh, I had a team working under me, and I was starting to get into some troubles with um, different personalities and such, I kind of created my own, like, daily work ethic that I, that I was able to memorize and carry with me no matter where I was, whether I was in the production office or in the, the scouting van or on set. And it's called F-A-C-E, face. And I don't know why, but these, these four words really encapsulate almost everything that I, I find to be challenging for me. Um, being flexible is number one, that's the F in face. Being flexible, which means accommodating, open-minded, uh, being of service, and thinking win-win. So being flexible is like the F in face. And then accurate. A is for accurate. So it's like a really critical part of, you know, people are, there's a lot of pieces moving on a big project, and they really need accurate information so that, so that mistakes aren't made on behalf of you. Um, so being accurate means being honest, exacting, thorough, focused, And prioritize, Um, which actually reminds me of one of the interesting things I learned in locations is, if you have bad news, deliver it quickly. That's like one of the things, first things you learn when you when you become like a department head or in an important position. If you have bad news, deliver it quickly. Do not hold back bad news. Um, So that's part of being accurate, I would say. Um, And then the C is confidence. Um, Always be confident. People want you to be confident. courageous professional and uh sharing don't be you know don't hoard information don't try to play manipulative you know games in the office uh i don't know just being a team player is being confident and and sharing information and then the e in the word faith is enthusiastic and being enthusiastic because you're working 14 hours a day sometimes 16 hours a day Um, nobody wants debbie downer on their set you know right <laughs> wah wah um so being enthusiastic is important um cheerful friendly respectful no matter how tired you get try to be thankful and friendly and try not to drag anybody else down and you know if you're having a bad day you know go make a private phone call keep it to yourself um, as best as you can so that's my little daily work ethic shorthand that i created for myself uh, called f-a-c-e Flexible, accurate, confident, and enthusiastic.
1: You know, it reminds me of just this idea of having a good attitude. Because there's so many people you work with that you're like, I want to work with that person again because they had a great attitude and, and they had those characteristics that you embody. You embody. Um, when you're when you're talking about um, these things, these these traits, um, you you mentioned. Being a freelancer, what are some, some challenges that you've had to endure? Being a freelancer, um, that you've you've overcome? What, whether it's you know trying to find the next job, what, what do you what are you trying to do to become um, the the best that you can be?
0: I think uh, for me, my biggest challenge was never skill or being willing to work hard or having, you know, the desire to have a good work ethic. I was raised with a work ethic that was very strong. I was in the Marine Corps, so I'm not afraid of anything, you know, hard work, being a team player. I'm for me the hard part was always bonding with people and developing genuine quality relationships. And uh, that's just me personally. Other people are really really good at it, and that's their strength. Um for me, it's been I'm a late bloomer. you know I think I'm developing some of my best relationships in my career now, you know, in the golden twilight of my career. But um, I think one thing that's been helpful for me is is just I mean, so developing relationships with people is, is super important, and that's where like a guild or a you know clubs and groups come in. Um, I take classes, like the Teamsters have, um, this is where I go to practice my social skills in person. Because like in locations, again, you're in locations you're a Lone Ranger and like one guy's doing everything. Um, That's one of the things I love about television and features is that you've got a team. And it's nice to go into the office and chit chat with your buddies who do exactly what you do and understand the challenges and you can cry on each other's shoulders. But in locations, uh, in like music videos and, um, commercials, it's just you, and so once you've worn out the ear of your children and your wife or whatever. Um, anyways, but I have a network called uh, the SoCal Scouts Network. It's like 480 uh, location people in LA. It's its a group of my colleagues, and it's where we share location information, uh, data. It's where we share um, needs. It's like, hey, does anybody know where I can find a bridge that we can close during the day on a weekday you know and so
1: how do they join that group or are they allowed to join the group
0: it's a yahoo group that i started and as long as somebody has experience in locations and i can tell that they're a, just a real prof, you know professional location person um they're welcome to join um there is another group called local list it's been around for about 15 years started by another guy and i, I think they've got about seven or eight hundred members and um My group is very, very similar, it's just a slightly different flavor. Um, We never discuss politics or religion or anything like that on the group. We only talk about locations, period. And because of that, people like the group. They like the flavor of my group because we don't talk politics or anything like that. But um, it's a Yahoo group and somebody just has to send me an email. And if if I clearly realize that they're a location person, I'll let them join the group. So we got 480 people on that group. Um, It's called SoCal Scouts. And uh, it's a really valuable tool. Um, I have a similar group for the DGA members called DGUSA that's uh, got a lot of members in it as well. But right now I'm doing locations. So. But um, the other thing that I do for, like, my relationship and social s- skills and just to get out and hobnob and, and enjoy the relationships that I have in my career, I take a lot of these classes. You know, the Teamsters have um, basically I think about 11 classes per year continuing professional education classes only for 399 members and about once a month we get together and we have a class and so I've taken all of those classes like two or three times each um, I've taught a few of the classes um, or been a co-teacher anyways um, but uh, there's classes on digital scouting um, field scouting you know how to how to cover up a, a location properly like if you're gonna photograph a house um, how do you know when you've done it all uh, so how to cover a location properly. There's architecture, so we, we have to study architecture, and um, sometimes we'll jump in a bus as, as a Teamster group, and we'll just go out and look at some locations. There's a couple of guys that are like absolute architectural experts in the Teamsters, and they teach the rest of us you know, what we need to know. Um, there's digital map making, uh, budgeting, and uh, management skills, uh, contracts and insurance and permitting and there's a lot to know so i mean just dealing with the insurance people and legal like on a television show dealing with the legal department is really challenging and um there are a lot of permutations to what if you're making a thirty thousand dollar location deal it's got to be rock solid so you have to know how to interact with the insurance people at a studio and how to interact with the legal department and sometimes you get into like these 25 page you know contracts and stuff, but taking these classes at the Teamster Hall is is fun, and it's a nice Saturday morning with donuts and orange juice, and um, uh, we also have like classes where we we help each other to get stronger at like digital photo processing. Um, the Teamsters Locations Department has basically embraced Lightroom as the official you know, photography, you know, photo gallery, editing software. And so we're all trying to help each other get better at Lightroom all the time. So that's where I shine and do the best when I'm in a group of my colleagues, you know, teaching each other and helping each other.
1: Well, that's that's really cool that you're trying to, you know, continually grow in your craft and you're not pretending that you know everything. You know, we're wrapping things up. What, um, what type of advice would you like to give to somebody that maybe was thinking about location work or Maybe they're they're in that department, but they want to move up in their their area of expertise. What do you think that they should do? You have any nuggets of wisdom?
0: Wisdom? What, say what? What kind of wisdom?
1: Nuggets of wisdom. Negative wisdom. Nuggets.
0: Oh, nuggets of wisdom. I've got negative wisdom for sure. Don't give them negative. Don't wisdom. do it. No. Um, I don't know. You know, I would say. I mean, like right now, for example. There's a guy that has been hiring me for a couple of years. He's a producer, and he wants to get into locations. Um, I've helped a lot of people get into the locations department. I've helped at least three people get into the Teamsters, um, which is like a Catch-22 challenge for anybody in Hollywood. To get into a union can be challenging. Um, But this guy's a producer. He's been doing it for years. He's excellent at what he does, but he's tired of it. He's like, you know what? I'm tired of this I want to do something a little more creative and I want to be I want to be out there on the road with a camera I want to do locations I'm like all right bro I'll show you how to do it and so he's actually coming over tomorrow and we're gonna go have lunch and I'm gonna show him my website my camera I'm going to show him all my tools I'm gonna probably talk to him about a lot of the stuff that you and I have just talked about and um, hopefully we'll we'll bond and be friends and then I'll give him work, he'll give me work, and we'll become buddies. Um, But basically, I mean, I've told him, you know, he needs to be really good with his camera. He needs a website where he can uh, post photographs. I use a company called Zenfolio for my photographs. It's a photo gallery um, website that's used by a lot of professional wedding photographers. Okay. So wedding photography actually (laughs) is a— is a, another idea. If you're a really good photographer, you can do that as well. But um, using a wedding photography website for your locations photos is an amazing match. And so that's what I'm using right now. There's other programs. So I use Zenfolio, but other people are using SmugMug, which is good. Um, there's a couple of hybrid proprietary websites that you can buy or rent from Some people in our industry, but they're kind of expensive, like 50 bucks a month. And I don't want to pay that amount. So you can get a Zenfolio website, 60 bucks a year, which is 12 bucks. What is that? That's five bucks a month, unlimited. Oh, wow. You can put unlimited photographs on a website for 60 bucks a year on Zenfolio. And um, there's Image Event, which is another photo gallery website, but that one's getting a little old and outdated. I've had producers tell me, do not use that. So. Um, I'm trying to share that with my colleagues that are still using Image Event. I'm like, bro, it'd it'd be good to make a transition. So anyways, there's the camera work, there's the photo gallery. Um, It's funny, but when I decided – when me and this friend of mine who wants to get into locations decided, okay, I'm going to help you, I just started sending them all these website links. I'm like, okay, you want to go check out Daylight for for your database? You want to check out Zenfolio? You want to check out another another app called uh, JPEG Mini, which is – a program that um, resizes photographs with indiscernible quality differences. Um, and we're just going to talk about, you know, how to get work, how to share work. Now, how I'm going to – I'm going to train this guy because I like him and he's smart. Um, the way I'm going to do that is when I get a job – because I'll get a job. I'll get a phone call. Let's say I get a call today just to, to do a job tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um I want to do a really good job so i'm going to have i'm going to pay this guy probably out of my own pocket like 100 bucks i'm going to say look i'm going to pay you 100 bucks you're going to come to my house and you're going to make phone calls you're going to make phone calls and help me collect price and availability data on these different locations and then halfway through the day i'm going to get in my car and go you're going to keep making phone calls while i'm out actually photographing properties so he'll be basically my office jockey and that's how i'm going to train him and then once I see that he gets good at that, I'll take him on a couple of um, scouting runs and let him take pictures, and then we'll compare pictures, you know. So it'll just be a basic good old-fashioned apprenticeship, you know. Very cool. And I'm willing to do that with certain people, but, you know, we have to get along because they're going to be working in my house with my wife and kids walking around and stuff. So it's got to be a little bit of a personality match, you know. so.
1: Well, that's cool that you're, you're taking a mentorship approach and you're – you're giving back to the community, and because um, it's it's not always easy to, to to break into something like this, you know. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: I mean, people mentored me when I was trying to become an AD. Right. When I was one, have you heard of Bob Coster? No. There's a guy named There's a guy in the DGA. I think he has passed, but he wrote the original book on budgeting. Oh well. He wrote the He wrote the first, like how to make a movie budget using movie magic. And his name was Bob Coster. He was an old guy, almost done with his career. And he said, "Yeah, come over to my house, and I'll show you how to do it." So I had people mentor me when I was trying to get into the DGA, and um, I really appreciated it. You know, mm-hmm. there was no there was no money exchange. It was just they were just trying to share their wisdom. And I'm one of those people. I enjoy doing that. And my wife kind of gets mad at me for it sometimes. She's like, "Why are you teaching them how to do your job?" <laughs> and I'm like I don't know it just feels right you know because people have helped me and it makes there's a there's an old saying as well the best way to get better at your job is to prepare to teach it and I find that to be true so when I'm preparing to teach somebody how to do my job I'm reviewing my processes and I'm like well maybe I should teach them to do it this way which is better you know
1: that's good um if uh, people want to find you online, do you have a website or social media that people can track you down?
0: Yeah, social media is kind of a weird thing. You know, I avoided using Twitter for a long, long time. I just thought Twitter was stupid, and it's like, what's the point? It's just redundant, and it's too much. So I do have a Twitter, you know. I am on Twitter, Dale Ardre, um handle or whatever, but I don't really – I just have Twitter set up so that people say yes, Dale's on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> but I, actually, I just joined Instagram as well about six months ago. I did a whole rebranding of myself. I got a new website. It's uh, www.socalscout.com, socalscout.com. And um, it's a beautiful website. And from there, you've, there's links to, like, my Facebook page, my my Instagram page, my Twitter page, LinkedIn. Um, so, I mean, if you Googled my name, I'd probably pop up first of course so that's easy Dale Dreyer
1: that's great hey thanks Dale really appreciate it
0: I appreciate it too man thanks see you around campus
1: if you enjoyed this episode please visit us on iTunes leave a review and share with your network you can also visit us online at assistantdirecting.com sign up for our e-newsletter to stay connected to what we're doing thanks guys